Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions, a podcast that takes an honest yet hopeful look at the things that the Church does in the name of missions, a podcast that seeks to inspire Christ followers to rethink the status quo of short-term missions and to forge a better way forward. We feature honest conversations with people from all over the world, those who go on mission trips and those who host them, and we don't shy away from tackling the hard and uncomfortable questions. Questions like, How can we learn about the history and culture of the people we go to serve? And even more importantly, how can we begin to build strong working relationships with our hosts before we go? How do we cultivate the humility among team members that helps us to work quietly alongside the people we visit, rather than assuming a role in the spotlight? I'm Forrest Gingley, a professor of global studies at Northwest University in Seattle and co-editor of the book Reimagining Short-Term Missions. In this episode, I'll be talking to two of the authors from that book, David Sanon and Stephanie Robinson of the organization called Konbit Haiti. As an organization that has hosted many short-term teams, they have learned that the challenge of reimagining short-term missions requires that short-term visitors learn to stand in the back as they serve cross-culturally, rather than assume roles of leadership or expertise. One note about the voices you'll hear in this episode in addition to sharing her own views, Stephanie will translate David's responses as well. Friends, there are better ways to love and serve the world, and it starts with courageous conversations. Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions. David, Stephanie, thanks for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. Maybe you could orient our listeners a bit to talk about uh, where you live and work and what you do for the organization Kombi Haiti. Stephanie, let's start with you. Yeah, um, my name is Stephanie Robinson. I currently am residing in South Alabama, but I um, travel to the island frequently and lived and worked in Haiti for a number of years and helped alongside some of my friends, including David, start Combeat Haiti. And David, how about you? Yeah, I'm really David. Um, my name is David Cannon. I was raised in Haiti and where I was also where Combi Haiti is located. And what do you do for Combi Haiti, David? Yeah, so his responsibility is to be the um, environmental branch director. And so what that looks like practically is um, he works to help people gain access to clean drinking water um, and other environmental protection um, in his community. He works in really rural areas in the mountains um, as, and he helps them develop sources of water for themselves. Um, to protect the water sources that they already have and to work in the gardens. Um, some of his big projects are things such as uh, seminar, seminars, sorry, seminars, um, and um, teaching people so that they can effectively find their own clean water or provide their own clean drinking water for themselves. He does a lot of um, toilet projects where they can have a good latrine that protects water systems that already exist as well. And sometimes he also works to protect gardens and helps people do gardening um, with limited resources. David, could you tell us about Konbi uh, Haiti in general and what is the work in Haiti that they do? Okay. Kombi Haiti is a base of hope for the community. Um, it's a place where we 
really reach out to people in all walks and stages of life. Um, we have a giant kids program where we do after school care. We do um, different camps throughout the year. We do um, parent training and walk alongside parents. Um, we have a sewing program. We have um, a water program that he's responsible for and other environmental um, issues that he helps with. We um, also do a lot of different trainings for leaders and business people and pastors. Stephanie, I wonder if you could tell us uh, how the work of Combi Hedi involves short-term missions. Yeah, I think like a lot of um, organizations, we found ourselves wanting to involve people from around the world in this really cool work. Um, and so for a number of years, we would have requests and we weren't really sure where to put people, but we started receiving teams to predominantly help with, I would say, our summer camps, um, which involve just about 300 kids and just it's a undertaking. So we thought that would be a good place to have some extra support. And then we also have had people come down to teach some of these seminars, like pastors who teach alongside Haitian pastors, that kind of thing. Um, and we've also had short-term teams come for medical medical training and medical help assistance. Stephanie, I wonder if you could talk about the book, Reimagining Short-Term Missions, and what actually makes it different uh, from other books on short-term missions. Um, as uh, an organization who has helped prep a lot of different groups to go to Haiti um, and has consulted with other churches and groups who have gone other places. This to me is the book that everyone should be reading. And I'm not just saying that because they're in it. Um, it really takes into account the long-term problems of short-term missions, but it gives you something to do with it. I think oftentimes people will read a book and it will be a little discouraging for them and they'll feel like they shouldn't go at all. Um, or they'll, they'll go on a short-term trip and they'll feel really guilty because they feel like they didn't really do what they could have done. And this book takes into account all perspectives. It doesn't address the, quote, short-term missionary as necessarily just from the West. Um, it, I have, we have recommended it to so many people because I think that um, in, in bite-sized pieces, you can take so many different um, important pieces of advice. And I, I just really like it. So you, along with others of your team, uh, wrote an essay called The Principle of Standing in the Back. David, I wonder if you could tell us what you mean in that chapter by standing in the back and where that phrase came from. In his community where he grew up, there has always been a really strong missionary presence. We're close to the water, so people like to come, and people really have enjoyed visiting schools as well. Sometimes when missionary, when short-term missionaries come, they really do a beautiful thing. Everybody gathers around in the community, and they watch them build their, build their thing or do their project or program, and everybody says, wow, what a good job, and then they leave. And after two or three years, it... Break. It is a beautiful thing to see 
but it's not really a beautiful thing for everyone. When foreigners come, it's more about saying like, come, come to the thing that you've been watching your whole life. Come to the thing that you've seen other Westerners, foreigners do. Come and touch this problem. Put your hands on this problem. Come and think about what you can do with this problem. And I'm going to stand in the back and let you do it. Basically, he said that he's had like missionaries in his life that have shown them the skills that they are professionals in or the skills that they know. And then they give him the freedom and the opportunity to not just work on what they see fit for him to work on, but for him to create, you know, the, the solutions to the problems that he sees, the freedom to, to, to really own what he's doing. Yeah, hold on. I mean, yeah, he's basically saying, like, just more about, like, whatever he feels that he feels very supported and it's and it's awesome when when missionaries short term or long term can support the vision that he has or that other people on the ground have to reach out to their communities he really likes to work with them go places but it's about working together yeah so for me it's a big deal because i work to build sustainable water projects and it's a big difference if a short-term team comes and builds this on their own and doesn't really talk to anybody about what they're doing um, because it'll break and nobody will know what to do with it. But for me, when I go into the mountains, when I go into the villages to help people gain access to clean drinking water, um, I am supported by short-term missionaries or long-term missionaries, but I also get to work with the community and can share in their language how we can learn how to do these projects and programs, how we can work together. So then in a couple of years, if the project breaks, they can fix it themselves. They're not waiting for somebody else to come and fix it for them. Stephanie, let me ask you, um, it, 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 I know in your chapter, you speak of kind of a, a past time when standing in the back was not standard practice. Uh, can you tell us about what that looked like uh, when Western missionaries in particular were coming and not living this principle of standing in the back? I think one of the biggest examples really is is in the clean drinking water world. Um, the amount of broken wells um, is really astounding. I mean, you don't even have to be looking for them. They're just everywhere. And I think um, that's a very practical way to see the way that people haven't use what they could to make people. Um, another way is, I mean, we had a pastor's conference one year and we didn't end up having um, a Haitian pastor speak. And that was like pretty rough for us. It was a big learning experience for us because we realized that they came in with a lot of assumptions about um, what it means to, to be a Christian in Haiti, what it means to be a believer. Um, they were ready to come in with what they said was a heavy rebuke. <laughs> um, and they didn't even know these people. So the principle can be illustrated with like projects that are not done, but also the way that we interact with people on the ground. Um, one time we had somebody work so hard, she passed out, but she wouldn't let anybody else help either um, in our one of our camps. And that was really tough. So it's definitely like still something we're striving for. But um, yeah, it's something we try really hard to do now. <laughs> Yeah, David, you know, I know that, that you have seen plenty of, of Western short-term mission teams come, and it really is almost part of the culture that they aren't going to listen first, but rather come uh, 
as you said, Stephanie, with assumptions about how things are and what they should do, even an assumption that that somehow they're the experts uh, in whatever it is they're coming to do without really trusting the expertise of the folks on the ground. I'm wondering how do you actually help visiting teams, David, to make that transition to understand what's going on inside of them in terms of, you know, of their their impulse to stand in the front. How do you help them to learn how to listen and stand in the back? First of all, he's never surprised when they come in like that. They come and they have usually one focus in mind. They're very focused and they say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to help. One of the things that I think is so important is when we sit down together and discuss what it means to enter another country and work with another culture. I am introduced as a leader as well as some of the other leaders and teams are told if they see a problem and they want to fix it, do not go to fix it. Instead, go to one of the indigenous leaders and talk to them about the problem and we together can come up with a solution. For example, if somebody comes to me and says, this person doesn't have clean water, can I give them this bottle of water? I would instead say, what's a better option for them to do? The chapter shows up in the book in the section called Humility and Repentance. And I'm wondering, Stephanie, if you could just give your thoughts uh, about what humility and or repentance have to do with this better way of doing short-term missions. I mean, just constantly in the forefront of your mind. It cannot be something that you think you have as a principle in the back of your mind. But constantly engaging people with humility, constant being quick to say sorry, being quick to realize that like, just because you might have a certain role doesn't mean in another country you do. Just because somebody doesn't speak English doesn't mean they don't speak like three other languages, doesn't mean that they're dumb. <laughs> um, super simple things. You know, missions, if you let it, can really transform the way that you view the world and you can end up with friends in different parts of the world. I mean, David is like a family member to me. But it takes that humility, that entering in and saying, I'm and repentant, saying, I'm so sorry, not only not only for potentially what I've done and, and the missteps that I've taken, but also I'm so sorry for the way that my country has treated you. I'm so sorry for the way my country continues to treat you. I'm so sorry for the way Americans and internationals have come in and taken advantage of Haiti. Um, I'm so sorry. And I can't fix everything, but I know what I can do with my life, which is just stand with you and believe in you and trust you. Um, and I want to work with you as long as you want me to work with you. And that, to me, I don't know, it's been very transformational for me, um, but it's hard. It is hard. It is hard. And, you know, I think you made a good point about those saying sorry. Really, I wonder how much preparation teams do when it comes to history, you know, when it comes to understanding past mistakes, past abuses, uh, you know, even going all the way back to, to colonial dynamics. Uh, I wonder, is that something that you really think short-term teams should spend time doing, or should they really focus on the future and the immediate needs that they're trying to help with? What difference does it make to have a sense of history, I guess, is what I'm asking. And that's for you, Stephanie. Yeah, well, I think 
I mean, as to say, I didn't really understand the full history, um, like just the issues surrounding even their freedom. You know, they fought Haiti as a country, fought for their freedom, and then basically turned around and had to buy it from France. And so they started this this amazing revolution started with a country taking advantage of them. Nobody else would in the in the free world where they still had slaves, nobody else would even acknowledge them as a country. And so um I didn't really know all of that. I learned the history that I thought I was supposed to learn about the religion and all of that, but um it would have been very beneficial to me had I known because I would do in my mind what was like one single action. And for Haitians, they're like, I've seen this throughout my lifetime. My parents have talked to me about this. This has been something that's like in my history. And it's just really, to be honest, very me to think that I'm the first, I'm just not the first person there. And so for short-term teams, we try really hard to make sure that they understand at least some of the history. We make them watch a few videos. (laughs) And, and I know that they, you know, I know it's not like a fun part, but it's a very important part because we wish we had done it. Um, and thankfully we have very gracious people who work alongside of us and say, Hey, this isn't okay. So that's a really interesting point. When you say that you have them watch videos, is that preparation that you coach them in prior to coming to Haiti or is that when they get there or both? We at least try to meet with people two or three times before they come. Um, I think often people just want to read the book, like When Helping Hurts, which is a great resource. But, um, you know, oftentimes those people aren't coming to do development work. They're just coming to stand alongside of people. And so um, I think we we have them watch, yeah, several videos about the history of Haiti, about how their country, I mean, you know, these are Americans that we're talking to usually how their country has like really contributed to the issues that Haiti is facing now. Um, We feel like that's really important, but it is definitely not well received all the time. Well, let me ask uh, both of you this question just to to close up. Uh, Stephanie, let's start with you. If you were to offer advice to people who are really interested in reimagining the way that short-term missions is done, you know, how would you sum up your advice for for visiting teams? First, they should read the book. <laughs> I, I think it's a very different take um, from a lot of different people. Uh, but I think other than that, I think the biggest thing I've learned to do is ask. We don't even realize the assumptions that we have about people. We don't realize it until it comes out of our mouths or until we're confronted with something. And so ask, ask before you go, ask when you go, ask after you leave, um, ask those hard questions. The more communication that you have with people, I think the better. Um, but I'm, I'm learning like every day that the more that I learn, I know nothing. So, <laughs> David, how about you? If you were to sum up your advice to visiting teams, what might you say to them? For my mom, bon. For me, the biggest thing that a short-term team can do is to stand with Haitians and equip them. Because of the issues that are going on in the country right now, and in many other countries around the world, there's lack of government, people are hungry, 
you're not necessarily thinking about other things. You're thinking about your immediate needs. But when a short-term team can come down and walk alongside of us and walk alongside of what our vision is for our community, that can be very helpful and help us get out of that mentality. The most important thing is that we all work together. By working together, you are saying that you believe in me, and I'm saying that I believe in you. And we work together to fix a problem or come up with a solution. That's very important. That's the most important thing in short-term missions. Just like Jesus came and raised up 12 leaders, there's a way for short-term teams to come, enter into another culture like Jesus did, and to raise up leaders. People on the ground can always give you just a really good answer. Just check with people who live on the ground. You've been listening to the Reimagining Short-Term Missions podcast. If you want to explore more diverse and challenging perspectives like this, check out a new book called Reimagining Short-Term Missions, which includes chapters written by our podcast guests and from many more STM innovators from around the world. Your podcast host is Forrest Inslee, co-editor of that book and a professor of global studies at Northwest University in Seattle. Angel Burns is the book's co-editor, and our podcast producer is Heath Hollinsby. Friends, what we need now is nothing short of a revolution in short-term missions. So please help us spread the word by sharing this podcast with others of like heart and mind. This is the time for reimagining short-term missions.